You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. I tell you what, we're just praising God for this rain. Uh, we've been praying for it so much, um, and we continue to pray that God will send rain to all of those areas affected by both drought and fire. Please keep praying for that. Um, as we're going to see in this psalm, God hears and answers our prayers when we call out to him. And so we praise God for that. Um, this is the, I'm just coming into the ninth uh, year of ministry here at this church, and this is the seventh series in the Psalms that we've done. And, um, and at this point, I think this is the 23rd Psalm that we've covered out of 150. So still some way to go. Um, we're just going to keep going until we get to the end and then start back at the beginning, all right? And, um, and, and this psalm that I chose, Psalm 3, uh, was chosen a long time before any of the current disaster struck, but I think God was working in his providence uh, to give us just the right psalm to look at this morning because it's, it speaks of, from David's perspective, um, the kind of confidence we can have in God in the midst of troubling times. And so um, pray that this will be a blessing to you, uh, particularly in these times of trouble. Um, I've said over and again, and I won't go through my whole kind of thing about um, the importance of poetry um, in giving us words to express that which we can't express in our own words, but um, I really do enjoy this opportunity to get into the Psalms because as, as poetry <clears throat> written, as it were, by the hand of God, um, it really does, does give us um, an expression for uh, so, much, so many of the uh, emotions and experiences that we, um, yeah, that we uh, face throughout our life. And um, I love what one of the, the greatest Bible scholars ever, probably the greatest Bible scholar ever, John Calvin, this is what he says about the book of Psalms. He says, quote, I've been accustomed to call the book of Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. End quote. And that's been my experience as well. And this is why I encourage you every year around this time of year, make it one of your New Year's resolutions, one of the ones you actually keep, to just read one psalm each day. That would be a great blessing to you and a benefit to your soul if you just, for the next 150 days, you just read one psalm each day. I think you would find yourself so blessed and you would find in these psalms, as we do with poetry in general, you would find in them words that express what you are feeling, a way to connect with the reality of your experience that would be so precious to you. So let me encourage you to do that. The one that we're looking at this morning is Psalm 3. And um, you'll know from the video that we looked at, this is the, the first psalm, really, after the first two introductory psalms, the first um, psalm uh, in the whole book of psalms, also known as the Psalter. And um, that video, by the way, is so helpful. I, I encourage you, I've watched that a, a dozen times. It's so helpful to give you a big overview of what, the book of Psalms is all about and a way of looking at them in the kind of big picture that we miss if we just uh, focus on one psalm at a time. So please go back and look at that again. The Bible Project is a real blessing. Um, and uh, the, the psalm that I want to focus on this morning is Psalm 3. And, and in Psalm 3 you have this 
uh, as we do in all of the scriptures, you have the immediate context in which it's written, and then you have the application for us in 2020 in Caroline Springs or wherever you hail from. Uh, you have both the immediate context and the contemporary application, and um, and you can see from the heading, and just so you know, and it was right that Duca read the, the heading because this is scripture. This is God-inspired, not the first bold line, confidence in troubled times, but the next line. Um, this, this line, to introduce it, says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So that's the immediate context, and we don't have time to go into it now, but you can read in 2 Samuel 15 and 16, um, the, the situation with David, with his own son, I mean, just try and get yourself into his mind at this time. His own son, Absalom, um, having recently murdered his own brother uh, uh, by way of revenge, um, then turns his attention to his own father, David, and to his kingdom. And he, what, he, what he does is essentially organize a conspiracy. You read 2 Samuel. It reads like a, a political intrigue novel. It's it's. it's crazy, the kind of stuff that went on. But Absalom basically organizes everything so that this conspiracy um, would manifest itself in, in wresting David's kingdom um, from him. And so uh, Absalom does this through all kinds of treacherous means. The, the, the outcome is basically that David has to flee for his life. If he didn't run, uh, he was going to be killed. And so it's when he's on the run that uh, the psalm here tells us he, he penned this psalm. So it's out of, this is not theoretical suffering. This is not him trying to imagine what it would be like to face some trouble or suffering. This is real world experience giving voice to poetry that seeks to express the depth of the despair that he's feeling. So if you're here this morning and suffering and devastation is not something theoretical for you, this is something you really are experiencing now or have in the past, then this is a psalm written for you. And that's the thing. There is an immediate context that we can read about and appreciate. Absalom, David, fleeing, kingdom, all that stuff. But most scholars agree that this psalm is not just written as a historical account of what happened to David, but rather as an example to all of God's people. Here's how you should respond when you are facing any kind of suffering. You read about Absalom taking David's kingdom from him, and you say, well, I'm, I don't think my son has ever plotted to take my life. I, I hope not. I can't imagine six-year-old Judah kind of twisting his moustache at night thinking about how he can do me in. Uh, I don't think that's happening, at least not yet. And, but but that, doesn't, that doesn't do anything to diminish the applicability of this psalm for us because really it's a psalm that shows us where to go, what to do, how to think, what to pray whenever we're facing any kind of trouble, whether it's the devastation of bushfires or suffering in marriage or financial insecurity or... You name it, ill health, and on we could go. This is an example to us of how to respond when we're facing troubling times. So then, I've got three points about this this morning, okay? We're going to look at what David sees, the reality of his situation, then what he believes, irrespective of 
his situation, and then what he prays. How does that give voice to how he speaks to God? Those are the three points we're going to look at. And, and this psalm is divided into three stanzas that we'll, we'll look at in order. Okay, So first of all, in verse 1 to 2, let me read that again for us. David writes, Lord, how many, how, sorry, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. This is what he sees around him. This is the reality of the situation that he faces. And, and I think we can all relate to this, right? We can all at various times in our life look around and say, how many are my foes? Whether that is literally foes that you, you may have enemies around you. Uh, perhaps you have worked in a, a workplace where it seems like everyone is conspiring against you. Maybe there's politics going on um, that, that, that is unfavorable towards you. Perhaps it's relationships within family where they have turned against you. Maybe it's, uh, uh, um, maybe it's metaphorical foes, debts that have accumulated, um, ill health. Whatever it is, I think all of us have, have been able to say at one time or another, Lord, how my foes increase. It seems like no matter what I do, no matter how, how much wisdom I try and employ in my life, how, my, how much I call out to you in prayer, it seems like my foes continue to increase. There are many who attack me. There are people from all around me or situations conspiring all around me. And it seems like I've been backed into a corner. And if we're honest, in the midst of that, there may be others who are saying of us, there is no help for him in God. Like, why he's meant to be a Christian, and yet he's facing all of these problems. She's meant to be a Christian, and yet she's suffering from cancer. There might be that kind of cynicism, but I think if we're honest, even we ourselves as believers can think that way. We ourselves can, can say to ourselves in the midst of these struggles, there's no help for me in God. The word seller there at the end of each of these stanzas, the word seller, no one really knows exactly what it means. There isn't a direct translation into English, but most think that it's, uh, it means something like pause. Like just hit pause on the psalm at this point. As you're reading through one psalm each day for the next 150, you should do this as you come to the word seller. It's just pause. Maybe another way of saying it is just reflect. Ask yourself, what does, how has this manifested itself in my life? How are these words giving voice to my emotions and experiences? Seller, reflect. And I think if we reflect on that last line, we can probably all agree that at times we are tempted to say, there is no help for me in God. He says he'll never leave me or forsake me, but and yet I feel utterly alone. He says that he'll be a, a light for my path, and yet all I see around me is utter darkness. I admit I was feeling this way last Thursday night, Suzanne, because she's godly and tuned in to the heart of God. She, she, at the last minute, just said, listen, we know these fires are burning out of control. We know that the weather's about to worsen. We can't wait any longer to call a prayer meeting. We're just going to do it tonight. And so she called, called us to prayer. And I admit that 
turning up to that prayer meeting, I wasn't turning up as a, some kind of prayer warrior ready to enter the fray for the sake of the, the people of Australia, you know, standing in the gap for them and offering prayers to a God who can overcome all of our foes. I came thinking, there is no hope for us in God. This seems completely out of control. The situation is completely overwhelming. And if you spend too much time, like I have, watching news reports, then you can easily feel that way. There is no hope for us in God. This situation is completely out of control. So that's how I turned up to the meeting. That's how I felt walking in. And yet, Suzanne, because she's godly and tuned into the heart of God, she... She did what this psalm does. She did for me what this psalm does for us. This is, this is point two. Here's what she did. She took me to what we believe. Not what we see, but what we believe. That's what David does. Ready? Point two, what he believes. Verse three to six. But, it's an important word. Irrespective of what I see around me, but, but you, Lord, are a shield around me my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. David rehearses, even in the midst of this devastation. You just think about it. Your son has just taken your throne under threat of death, right? In the midst of this, even as people all around him, literally in in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, it's the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that Saul came from, that David displaced, the the tribe that hates him with deep hatred. This tribe is, is surrounding him and just raining curses down on him. It's all he can hear are the curses of these people who are saying, "This is you deserve this. You are a dog, right? Even in the midst of all this, this information, this data that tells him that there is no hope for him. There is no salvation for him. This is the end of the road for him. Even in the midst of this, he says, but you, Lord, irrespective of what I see around me, the emotions that I'm experiencing This is what I know to be true. This is what I believe. You, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. There is a a real childlike quality to the way David responds in the midst of this trouble. It's very childlike. I think this is why Jesus over and over again said that the children of the kingdom of God really are children. They come to the Father with childlike dependence on Him. In a culture where we, we look down on childlikeness, childishness, immaturity, we see it as a, something to be grown out of, David shows us, no, that's the seat of real faith. A childlike Belief in who God is and what he's capable of doing. A childlike sense of helplessness and dependence on him as our father. On Friday, I was running my boy Judah up and down our little court 
on his bike. We just thought, this is, you know, it's a new year. It's a chance for him to grow out of his training wheels. And so um, I was just <laughs> running up and down the street, hanging on the back of his seat. And he was pretty frightened of this new way of riding a bike, right? He'd always had the training wheels to, to, to lean back on. And now all of a sudden there's no training wheels there. And it was compounded by the fact that if you look at him right now, his entire face is just scabbed up and his legs scabbed up because we've been trying this for a little while and the inevitable had happened. And my inclination is to let go probably earlier than, uh, than is um, advised. Um, and, and just wanting him to pick it up more quickly than he was able to. Anyway, finally on Friday, we, we got it. He, he got the whole balance thing and the turning thing and the braking thing um, and the way of avoiding you know, parked cars thing, and, um, and he got it. And, then, and so I was so proud of him, you know, and, um, and as I was leaving to come back to work, I just said to him, Judy, you know, I'm so proud of you. You were, you, were, you were rightly frightened. You had all of these, you've got all these scabs, which are kind of evidences of why you should be frightened of doing this, and yet you overcame that, and you kept going, and now you've got it. And he said, you know, Daddy, I, you know, I, all I did was I just prayed to God. I just, I prayed to God that I would not fall off, and, and it works. And, um, and he, says, whenever, he said, whenever you're frightened, you just pray to God. And that... And, and immediately, as soon as I hear that, there is an, an adultish cynicism that comes in and, just, and, and undermines his childlike faith. And, and immediately I'm thinking, well, no, you just tried really hard. And no, I, I was holding you. And, you know, all of these reasons, like materialistic, humanistic reasons, uh, which undermined his childlike faith. And, and we've just got to put those down and come back to... David-like, Judah-like, Christ-like, child-like dependence on God. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. This is not blind faith. Don't put those two things together. This is not blind faith. This is not she'll be right, kind of Aussie, lackadaisical leave it in God's hands, let go and let God. It's not that. It's not that. This is a real, genuine faith born out of past experience of God's grace. Let me say that again. This is real faith born out of past experiences of God's grace. That's what David's building on here. He knows that time and time again throughout his life, he has faced situations like this and God has been faithful. It's past grace which gives substance to future faith. I love this thing that my wife Renee says frequently. I think it's so true. There's so much wisdom in this. Particularly right now, if you're not experiencing any kind of concentrated trouble or suffering, remember this. This is what she says. She says, we have to develop, we have to cultivate a deep trust in the goodness and sovereignty of God in the good times 
so that we can continue to trust him in the dark times. If you wait until everything falls apart and then try and throw yourself on the mercy of God, you almost certainly won't prevail. There's no substance that's been built up. There's nothing to fall back on. But if in the good times you can cultivate, you can develop a strong trust in both the goodness and sovereignty of God, that is, that he is both good and able to help us, then when the dark times come, you can, you've got something to fall back on. That's what David's doing here. That's what we've tried to cultivate in our children so that when they face those times of, of fear or, or, or um, threat, they know I can trust God because he's trustworthy. Which leads us to point three. Okay, here's what David prays. Verse seven to eight. All of this gives voice to his prayers. He says, rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Can you, can you hear two things coming together there? This is so important if we're going to understand how to pray in the midst of devastation, whether it's something you're going through at the moment or just the, the, the collective sense that we as, as a nation are suffering in the midst of bushfire. Two things are coming together there. There is a desperate cry for God's help. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. But it comes together with a settled reassurance that God is in control. Salvation belongs to the Lord. They're the best kind of prayers. If it's just desperate crying out to God, it can seem hopeless. This situation is too big for even you to do anything about. If it's just settled confidence, then it doesn't give any voice to our real emotions. The book of Psalms shows us that we can truly express how we're feeling at the same time as acknowledging that God is in control and we can trust him. That's the place of mature faith. That's where we want to be. I confess for, for most of my Christian life, I have been afraid sometimes to tell God what I really think about the situation that I'm in and about my perceived lack of tr trust that he is good or able to help me. And yet, and I can tell you, it's two or three times, I was telling one of you recently, two or three times I've actually just screamed at the top of my lungs, maybe thrown a few less than uh, <laughs> um, I was going to say less than Christian, but that goes against my whole point. I don't know, less than um, polite words in there. And, and yet each time that I've done that, I have experienced, and this is just anecdotal, but I can tell you I've experienced such an overwhelming sense of approval and reassurance that God is bigger than my problems and he's actually big enough to hear my actual emotions. 
I wonder if you've ever actually, in the midst of dark times, come before God and just laid it out for him unvarnished. Have you ever been desperate enough? Have you ever come to the end of yourself enough? Have you ever been humble or humiliated enough to say, rise up, Lord, save me? The cry of desperation is coupled to a deep and settled reassurance that God is, in fact, God. It's so interesting to see, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but in the midst of all of this devastation around the country at the moment, there is this pattern of um, prayerfulness. Uh, There's a couple of videos out there which have kind of aggregated this, but it's been in the media a little bit, just this, this sense that desperate people turn to prayer, even people who would never call themselves believers. That is, when they come to the end of themselves, when they're overwhelmed by the opposition they're facing, they turn to prayer. That there is nowhere else left to go. And these are the best kinds of prayers we can pray in the midst of the crisis that we currently face as a nation. We, we need your help, Lord. This is beyond us. We can spray as much water as we like at these fires. What we, what we really need is just rain. That finishes the whole thing. Just send rain, please, Lord. That kind of prayer, desperate, calling out to God in the midst of crisis, coupled with, integrated with, enmeshed with, a settled confidence that he is there, that he hears us, and that he is both good and powerful. We need help, and he is able to help. In fact, he delights to help us in our time of need. I'd love to give us a time of cellar. And so I want to just cut short my talking bit and give you a little bit of time to respond both to our current crisis and, and the words of this poem, words that God has given us to express our feeling of desperation. I'd love to do that in, in just a second and give you a chance to do that collectively. But friends, perhaps... Perhaps now more than ever, or at least more than for a long time, we are coming to terms with the fact that we are helpless on our own. We're desperate and needy, and we can't fix things on our own strength. Perhaps we're coming to terms with the fact that in this life, In this life, we face troubles that are too big for us to deal with. And so I want to leave you with just a, a line from Jesus himself. And then I'm going to invite you guys just to grab a couple of people around you, have this psalm in front of you, and pray for our current situation. It's a crisis we're facing as a nation. 
and then I'll bring us back together in prayer just to finish up, okay? Here's what Jesus says, and this should add to your settled confidence. Here's what he says in John 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Please take a moment, pray, pray together. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, perhaps you don't know exactly what it is that um, you're meant to do during a time of prayer, then just sit, listen. Um, Feel free to participate. We'll do that for just a couple of minutes, like two minutes, and then I'll, I'll finish up in a word of prayer.